0: Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 149. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace, Away, and Encapsula. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hola, Jason Snell. Uh, hola, Miguel Hurley. That was a nice try on the surname there, but uh, I, I, I don't think you nailed it. I don't know what it would be. I don't know what the Spanish version of Hurley would be, but I don't think it was that. Or Leo? <laughs> We can, we, can, we can workshop this later on. Uh, Michael would like to know for hashtag Snell Talk this week, as a 12.9-inch iPad Pro user, I th- I sometimes think that the lunch tray comparison is an apt one because it's, you know, the iPad is so large. Jason, have you ever used your 12.9-inch iPad Pro to carry things around the house? Um, Only in moments of necessity. Uh,
1: best example, I actually did this this morning, although I admit I did it after I read this, but I think I would have done it anyway. Which is, I had a cup of tea and I had a plate with my breakfast on it, and I had my iPad because I was reading while the uh, while the the breakfast was was uh, finishing. And I realized I needed to take these three objects back to the bedroom, and so I closed my smart cover. And put my plate on the mm-hmm. iPad and then picked up the mug of tea and used it as a carrier for that. But it was a little plate and it barely fit because, you know, it seems like a lunch tray. But let me tell you, a lunch tray is larger. So, but yes, sure. Why not? If, if I've only got, I've only got two arms. So if I need to carry three things and one of them is the iPad, it's a flat surface. You can do it. By the way, my cat likes to sit on iPads. It's strange. On like on our bed, he will oftentimes sit or lay down on my iPad or huh. my wife's iPad.
0: It other computers too or just iPads?
1: Uh, the laptops are very rarely any place where the cat would be. Um, I don't I mean I don't know if he sits on laptops. I don't think so. I don't think I've seen him sit like my son and my daughter have laptops, and I don't think I've seen him sitting on them. But the iPad, I think it's like the leather case or something. It's more comfortable um, than the metal of a, or stickers. My daughter's laptop is covered with stickers. He must not like sitting on stickers.
0: You can't. You can't cover the, the wonderful artistry. Oh, yeah. Good point. Good point. So I have some follow-up about peanut butter. Of course we do. <laughs>
1: Snell Talk has has erupted into follow-up. This is Snell Talk follow-up, not regular follow-up. It
0: it is, actually. This is
1: in the chapter markers, Mike. It's very important that that we still remain in the Snell Talk chapter if people haven't seen. There's a chapter of Snell Talk. There's custom art. Mm -hmm. We are still ensconced inside the Snell Talk set of parentheses for this follow-up. Just want to be clear about that.
0: So the uh, Snell Talk follow-up is around peanut butter. So last week... Um, we were talking about the fact that you love peanut butter more than anything else uh, that you eat. And I reminded <laughs> Thank you. you... Thank you for that qualifier. Uh, I reminded <laughs> you... you know, I assume you like your family more than peanut butter. I figured it was I just do. important Thank to, you. to mention that. Uh, I well, also reminded so. you and the rest of the world that I am allergic. And we had lots of upgradians write in, Jason, to tell me about all of the peanut butter-flavored things that I could have that do not actually contain peanuts. So uh, Gannon and Rob suggested a product called Sun Butter, which is all one word. Ted suggested it's something which is kind of wonderfully named Get Buzzing Wow Butter Bars. The Get Mm -hmm. Buzzing Wow Butter Bars, as I like saying that. And Phil, Andrew, and another Jason all suggested something called just Wow Butter. So I think Wow Butter seems to be the winner here, because I assume that the Get Buzzing product contains something called Wow Butter. So I, I do have a thought about this, though. So I was looking at all these products thinking, oh, interesting. I don't like the flavor of peanut butter because Uh, (laughs) in my mind, if I ever eat peanuts or smell (laughs) peanuts, I get scared, right? So I I appreciate all of this. I appreciate the feedback. Um, But as I started thinking about this and wondering if I should get some, I decided I didn't want to do it. Because it would probably make me feel uh, rather unwell to to eat anything peanut related.
1: I would imagine you'd be like nervous, right? Like, like uh, it it would set off something in you because this is normally the taste of of danger, the taste of death, and uh, or potential death anyway. And uh, it's also interesting. Sun butter is uh, is sunflower seed butter i believe mm-hmm. so it's a it's a uh it's it's a replacement that doesn't use nuts because there's also like almond butter and stuff like that and cashew butter
0: yeah i i, I get a bit funny with sunflower seeds as well because okay yeah, they're my, they my tongue tingly
1: wow butter Seems like it's a completely artificial substance <laughs> made to taste like peanut butter, which is brilliant. I mean, it, the label on it says it's safe for schools. You know, there are a lot of schools have a have a, uh, a no-nut policy. So you can, if your kid really loves peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and the schools uh, have no peanuts because they've got kids with peanut allergies, then you buy wild butter and use it. And hopefully your kid doesn't know the difference. I will say, as somebody who does love peanut butter, and I'm going to bring in uh, our our pal Casey Liss, who loves Reese's peanut butter cups, to this conversation, too are two sorts of flavors of peanut butter there's actual peanut butter and there's artificial ish peanut butter like flavor uh and i wonder which one wow butter is because like reese's peanut butter cups taste like peanut butter but kind of not we just were um Uh, traveling last weekend and uh weekend before last and uh the small town we were staying in had a brand new like a fudge shop that opened and the kids went in there and one of the fudges they bought was this peanut butter fudge which i tasted and and, uh and because i because peanut butter and my my reaction was oh this is like the filling that goes inside the reese's peanut butter cups it's not quite real it's real ish um, and even things like frozen yogurt. Sometimes I went to a frozen yogurt place in Southern California um, with my in-laws and uh, they had two different peanut butter flavors on the, on, the, on the menu, which was weird. And I got tasters of both. And one of them tasted like peanut butter and the other tasted like Reese's peanut butter cup. Uh, like it, it was not natural. It's, it tasted kind of weird. So my, my long point here is um, I wonder whether the artificial peanut butter tastes like peanut butter or if it tastes like what we think peanut butter should taste like, <laughs> if that makes any sense. And I don't know. Maybe if I see artificial peanut butter sometime, I will buy it and try it and report back. How about that?
0: Yeah, I feel like it's like how uh, chocolate flavored things never actually taste like chocolate. They taste like the chocolate flavor.
1: Which is an approximation and you can see where they're going with it, but it's not the same as the actual flavor. That happens with a lot of artificial flavors where they are like um, an analog, sometimes closer to it, sometimes further away, Mm -hmm. like the purple, like purple flavor that you'll get in a in a popsicle or something that. uh, Or even orange, right?
0: Like orange doesn't
1: actually taste like orange. But purple, the purple flavor, which is supposed to be grape, and it kind of is like grape juice, but it's not quite right. Or the red flavor that is supposed to be cherry, but is kind of not. Mm-hmm. Um, there there, there are degrees of how we can take artificial flavorings and get them close to what the real flavor is. And some of them are close and some of them are far away. And I, I'm saying with peanut butter, I can kind of tell the difference. But um, I'm curious about how good an analog something like the wild butter is. So, yeah, peanut butter
0: talk. Here we are. If you'd like to submit a question to Snell Talk, which may later also be included in follow-up, uh, you can tweet <laughs> with the hashtag #SnellTalk. They go into a spreadsheet, and we can pick them out for later in the show. Thank you to Michael for suggesting the question and everybody this week who sent in uh, peanut butter replacements for me. Um, I appreciate the work that you all did, um, but I will be sitting this one out, I think. Gracias, Miguel. One of your favorite applications, <laughs> I believe a yes. previous Upgradey Award winner Ferrite Recording Studio for iOS, which is a podcast editing application. It is actually even on the, the Wooji Juice, who's the name of the developer, on their page, right at the very bottom. This is winner of Best New iOS app for the upgrade is two thousand and fifteen. They have the badge. Yes. One of the only yes. companies that actually displays the the sash proudly, which they all should Um, I wanted to mention this because Ferrite 1.6 came out today. And I will mention this for two reasons. One, it is a huge update. So Ferrite now has the ability to encode into MP3 and export in MP3 and also add MP3 chapters. And I'm assuming all of this is available because of those patents that just recently expired on MP3. Exactly right. And also customizable keyboard shortcuts is one of the new features, allowing you to change any keyboard shortcut or to choose from templates, which are modeled on desktop re- uh, editing applications like Logic. Now, you said that this was a major stumbling
1: block for you in editing, was the, the your frustration about like using it, because you wanted to use this with a keyboard, which yeah. I only used when I started, and I very rapidly stopped using it with a keyboard, and, and you were frustrated by the keyboard shortcuts.
0: Because they weren't the ones that I knew. And the reason I wanted right. to mention this is because uh, Adam me up in London the developer of Ferrite was there, and I begged and pleaded him to add this, <laughs> and he did. And I played around with it today, and it's great. I have some some further feedback that I'm going to give for him. There's some, there's some keyboard commands that are kind of hidden uh, in logic that I would really love. Like, for example, if you, uh, I think it's Shift-I. Again, I have all these mapped to uh, a Wacom thing. Um, it inverts your selection, which is really good. Uh, I like that one mm. a lot um so there's there's some additional stuff that i that but like i'm really pleased because the thing is an application like this i think it's really good to be able to uh wherever you can help people moving from other applications because you know i i speak for myself but i don't know the i mean if you say to me like oh what is the this this action that you do all the time on the keyboard what is the actual keyboard command sometimes i can't remember but like i just do them my hands know them right like it's muscle memory so when yeah. I sit down at an application, sometimes the idea of trimming something, in my mind, is mapped to the keyboard command in which you use to trim something, right? So it's when you go somewhere else and it has different keyboard shortcuts, it can be really disorientating. Um, so I, I was really pleased to see that that, that uh, they were able to do this uh, for ferrite because it's also really interesting in that, because uh, when we're talking, I've never seen an application do this before, like where you can literally just change the keyboard shortcuts and Apple and like so when you bring up, you know, you can hold down the Command key on iOS if you have a keyboard and it shows you that little sheet, like that, you know, that is populated by whatever keyboard commands you've entered in. Like it's it's really really powerful, and it is another example of just a. It, it a really fantastic application, um, which is just continuing to get more and more and more powerful over time. So I just wanted to to give them a shout out for this work.
1: I appreciate it. I actually use this. I've been using this beta, obviously, because I'm on the beta list. And uh, somebody somebody uh, tweeted at me this weekend and said, oh, look, there's this update that does MP3 encoding. And I said, yeah, these three podcasts that I did last weekend were all exported using the MP3 encoder in Ferrite, which is great right. because I used to have to export a... Uh, like a wave file or an or an aiff or or a, or a high bitrate mm-hmm. mp4 and then re-encode that or encode that either on device or on a web service somewhere and with this I'm actually able to I haven't done the chapter stuff yet but export it as an mp3 put the show art in um which I, I've got to give him some feedback about it because I, I think one of my frustrations now is that with iOS in general is a lot of times apps just assume that a- everything image related comes off the camera roll. And I kind of, I need that needs to stop because like the last thing I really want to do is go out to Dropbox, find the right image, save it to my camera roll, then go back and add it from the camera roll. I should be able to just pick an image from Dropbox and they're still using, uh, Ferrite still uses the camera roll for your podcast image. It's like, no, mm-mm. No, I'm I'm not taking a picture of my podcast logo. It's stored in a cloud service. Let me let me get it from the Files app or whatever. And I'm sure he'll get there. But um, but I was able to output those um, directly, and in fact, using the commands in Ferrite, I I was able to say basically export this and open the result in Transmit, the FTP app, and it. Uh, you know, bounced the file, which is to you know put all the tracks together, encoded it as an MP3, and tagged it properly, and all of that, and then just popped it into Transmit, which allowed me to transfer it up to where that file belonged for um, for posting in in you know basically one step. It's great that that like shaves. This is, this is what I was alluding to when I wrote that piece about how the MP3, long live the MP3 now that the patents have expired. It's like one of the developers I knew wanted to do this and couldn't because of the patents was the Ferrite developer. So, you know, here we are where now Ferrite is like way more useful for podcasters because it goes direct to the final file. Um, and that's because the patents expired.
0: So yeah, this is just great all around, and I want to give them a shout out because continuing to add really, really interesting stuff to the application.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, and I love it. It's um, if I if I had to give up Logic, I would just start editing everything on Ferrite on my iPad. I would not find another Mac editor. I would I, because Fairlight does everything that Logic does for me, essentially.
0: Wade wrote in Jason to ask. Your opinion on how the experience of reading comics in apps like Comixology is uh, on the 10 point5 inch iPad pro does the bigger screen make it better um, is you know how does it stack up against the 12 point nine it's a good question it's certainly one
1: of the first things I looked at when I when I picked it up um, Yes, the 10 point5 screen has more pixels and is larger and so therefore it is better than the nine point seven there's no doubt about it it is better it's not what I would call like a full sized comic reading experience. Everything is a little bit too small for me. I think um, depending on how great your eyesight is, it might be doable, but like the 12.9 has really spoiled me because I can just read the pages. The comic pages full screen on the 12.9 and, and it's great. It's the right size. Um, and, and it's the physical size. Like there was a time, I think this isn't true anymore but there was a time when um, the comics apps on the iPad were largely just scaled up 9.7 apps on the 12.9. So you weren't actually getting any more quality. Think that's not true anymore, but it doesn't really matter. The point is the size of it, just the 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 ability to read the text in the panels, and it's a little harder to do on the ten point five. But it's better than it was. It's definitely a better comic reading experience than the twelve point nine. But if you read a lot of comics on your iPad, twelve point nine is always going to be better, just because it's bigger and the the page format. uh, You know, it's anticipating when they're doing it for print. It's anticipating a screen size or not a screen size, a paper size that is better emulated by the 12.9 than the 10.5. But, you know, you can do it and it, and it, and it totally is better.
0: Today's show is brought to you in part by our friends at Away. Your luggage shouldn't cost more than your plane ticket, and that is why Away makes smart premium suitcases for under just $300. Go to awaytravel.com slash podcast right now, and you'll be able to browse Aways' collection of suitcases. They offer four sizes, the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, and the large. They have nine great colors for you to choose from. They're all made with premium German polycarbonate, which is unrivaled in strength and impact resistance, whilst remaining lightweight. All of Aways' suitcases have TSA combination locks built right in. They have four 360-degree degree spinner wheels they have they're all compliant with major u.s airlines while still maximizing the amount that you can pack and they do that with this fantastic compression system that they have which is uh, patent pending i really like the compression system it just it's a way for you to be able to strap everything down pull it all in but it also has a pocket on it as well so you can still stuff more in there which is that's really maximizing i like that a lot all away cases have a removable washable laundry bag so you can just pull that out when you get to your destination, you put your unclean clothes in there, your worn clothes, you zip it all up and just pack it and then when you get home you can just dump it straight in the wash. It's fantastic so you can keep your clean and worn clothes separate. The carry-ons feature a USB port which has a battery so you can charge your phone on the go. You can charge your phone with an Away carry-on case up to five times. You will never be without power again. I love my Away case. I've taken it on a bunch of trips with me to the point now where Adina has to buy a new suitcase and there is only one place that she's going to go. And I keep seeing her like she's like keeps looking at the colors. Right now, Away have a uh, limited edition Minion case which is just bright yellow. Uh, and I think that is the one that she's going to buy. It's the, it is awesome. It's this bright yellow case. And it has a luggage tag, which is an I. If you like the Minions thing, I don't even think she, she really cares about the Minion thing. She just loves this br- beautiful bright yellow case. So. It's probably one of the bigger carry ons is going to make its way into my home very soon. Away believe in the quality of their products. They are for a lifetime guarantee. If anything breaks, they'll fix it or replace it for life. And they have a 100 day trial with a no questions asked return, return policy. So you can really try it out. You can live with the suitcase, travel with the suitcase, make sure it's right for you. They have free shipping on any order within the lower 48 states of the US as well travel smarter with the suitcase that charges your phone go to away travel.com slash upgrade podcast and use the code upgrade podcast or one word at checkout you'll get twenty dollars off any of their suitcases once again that is away travel.com slash upgrade podcast and the code upgrade podcast for twenty dollars off of course all the information for that is in our show notes this week thank you so much to away for their support of this show and relay fm that yellow case man it's it's the it's a, it's a real deal it's a big old thing. We'll be traveling with the
1: blue and red cases this weekend because we, we. I bought a uh, a second uh, away case. It's red.
0: It is really. It's a cool it's nice. color. The yellow. It's not yellow. No, I mean honestly, if the yellow was available when I got mine, I probably would have got the yellow just just mm. for the funds of it. It's a, it's a good color. <laughs> So, Jason, I saw you over, over, I think over the weekend, uh, going through a real, just a real situation, um, in regards to the Echo Show, which is, uh, Amazon's new, uh, Echo product which features their their new assistant yeah late late last week yeah so before we get into the uh the situation that you were going through i want to just talk to you about the echo show a little bit and as a refresher if anybody doesn't know uh the echo show is amazon's new echo product which has a screen on it so rather than it just being a, a cylinder that you can speak to it also has a screen which enables some new functionality if you're so inclined and we'll go through what some of that is but at its heart it still features the assistant that we're Trying our best not to name, so it's not to set off people's devices. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to kind of just before we we talk about some of the, the foibles that you ran into. Um, I just want to talk about the Echo Show with you a little bit, because I don't think we we've really addressed it on this show at all. Actually, sure. What made you want to to get one of these? Was it just a work curiosity, or, or was this a product that you thought could fill a need that you had? Uh yeah, I mean. I like
1: the Echo stuff. Um, we've got one in our home, but the what's dis- made me decide to pre-order one is that I, I felt I needed to know about it and probably would need to write about it. I could have gotten away with not because Dan Morin likes this stuff too and he buys this stuff too, but I decided that I like my Echo enough um, and was curious enough about bringing in a screen and, and figuring that, you know, so it's a combination. It's like everything else being equal, would I buy one? Almost certainly not. But was was wanting it because I like the Echo part of the math? Sure, it was. If If I hated these things and never used them, but felt like I might want to get one to write about it, that I probably would have not bothered because I know that Dan likes them and Dan was going to get one. Yeah. But, um, but it's a combination.
0: What do you think about the hardware?
1: I think it is not bad and that the photos don't do it justice because it make it look like a giant television set. And it's really quite small. It's a small molded piece of plastic. The styling on it is kind of weird, but it's, so small especially the black one which where it just kind of fades into the background um it's 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 pretty unobtrusive it doesn't bother me there's some issues with it in the in the sense that it has a direction now and the nice thing about the original echo cylinder is that it doesn't have a direction being you know a cylinder it's sort of facing all directions at once and this one because of the screen and because the speakers seem to be firing forward you need to you know you're more aware of the position of the hardware and uh, that was inevitable, I guess, you know, really when you put a screen on it, then, then the location is more relevant and that, and that's an issue. But I think it, I think it gets, I think it gets knocked because of its looks and I find the looks generally unobtrusive and, um, I, I do think it looks much less of a big deal in person than it does in a photo where you don't understand the size context. And it seems like it's this right. laughably large old eighties kitchen television set kind of thing.
0: You're saying about the the direction of it. I know, you know, in our house we have one of the regular Echoes, one of the Echo dots in another room, and kind of the way that we command the Echo to do things, we just say it wherever we are. You know, just walking around the house, you know, you just shout things out, whatever. But it doesn't really, we don't really think about the placement of the device very often, unless it's not listening to us. Have you found that as a change for you? Do you feel like you're talking to the Echo Show more? Than the cylinder, or is that not a thing? Like, you you know, you say, like, I think you're maybe more aware of its place in the home because you look at it more often. Have you found that that's changed your relationship to the device in any way? Uh, It's still early days. Um, I think,
1: like, uh, my daughter just pointed out how much she likes the lyrics feature, like, that it'll just play the song lyrics along Mm -hmm. with the music. She loves that. And I think. Lauren already my wife already um learned a lyric that she didn't she got she had wrong <laughs> cuz it plays along like line by line with yeah. the song it's 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 great yeah um and so she uh, they both they both have liked that um you know the the truth is that it's not all there yet i mean that that's the truth is that it it's kind of um the when the original Echo shipped, it, it did a few things, and it, week by week, it has gotten better. Well, this has all of that ability, which is great, but the screen is brand new. And it's just not there. It, it does some a few things, and then the rest of it is just sort of uh, potential. And I guess that's my frustration with it is if you consider the screen kind of an optional thing, I think I think it's fine because now when I ask it for um, my my morning briefing, I get a visual of the weather forecast and then it shows me what audio it's playing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, is that a big deal? Not really. I don't need to look, but it's there if I want. Um, when you're doing kitchen timers, it will actually show you the timers that are going and how much time is left, which is kind of nice.
0: Uh, that's a feature I really want. You know.
1: Yeah, but it's all pretty rudimentary. It's all... Um I think there's just way more potential here that is gonna to have to be unlocked in the next year because it's just not all there.
0: You mentioned stuff like the timers and things like that, which is just, you know, enhancing the functionality you had before. If you found I mean in, in your testing or in your you know, what you can perceive you'd like to do with a device that the Echo Show does anything for you now that the traditional Echo didn't.
1: I mean, it does, there are, anybody who knows Siri knows that one of Apple's tricks with Siri is punting to the screen when you can't do it with the voice anymore, right? Like, (laughs) all right, uh, maybe this will help. And they put something on the screen. And like, I always consider that a failure, And I know it's not always a failure, but for me, when Siri kicks something to the screen, it is basically saying, no, you need, you need your fingers and your eyes on this voice is just not going to cut it. And I feel like ultimately, uh, unless I'm asking, like, show me a picture, (laughs) like it should be, the screen should be like annotating the results, not required. And so, um, and in that context, it can be, it can be good to do that. So, I see that with the Echo Show already that there are things that um, maybe there's some things that it's punting, but there are also ways where it just gets enhanced by having that annotation. So like playing music on the Echo um, Original or the Dot is uh, hit and miss, right? I, don't, I assume you've tried this too. It's like you say play this album
0: and it says, oh, I did, I don't, I can't find that, and it's because you yeah. didn't say it quite right. One of the biggest struggles I have is if uh, there is a, an album. Where the, it also shares the name of a song, and trying to get it to right. play the album is basically impossible. Yeah, I've I've had some success in saying play the album
1: so and so by so and so, but it's it's hard. So here's an example where that that I like, which is the screen is there. If you're in a position to interact with the screen, you can say, uh, "Hey, lady," in the plastic box that looks like a TV, because mm-hmm. um, it's not a canister anymore. Uh, Show me albums by Radiohead.
0: Uh, okay, that's vastly superior. And and, and, and mm. it will
1: bring up a list of Radiohead yeah. albums. And you can literally, th- th- from there, if you tap on OK Computer, OK Computer plays.
0: Okay, that is or good. Or you
1: can say hey lady and it'll be like they'll they'll be numbered like number 1 is okay computer number 2 is the bends number 3 is um in rainbows and you can say hey lady play number 1 and that will also work it's the equivalent of the finger tap you can that do that that is better
0: that right? is
1: better um, also you can play Jeopardy I should mention that because my kids love it that if you ask her to play Jeopardy um, Monday through Friday it will give you six trivia questions that are from Jeopardy with a little blue screen from the TV show Jeopardy and you have to answer in the form of a question like you're playing on Jeopardy and occasionally you'll hear Alex Trebek the host of Jeopardy's voice uh, that's pretty funny there, there's some room for stuff like that that's an, uh, a, a, it's a good demo because it's like an audiovisual experience it makes it into something that's not quite a TV but not quite a disembodied voice yeah. it's, and it has the look of something you know as well Right exactly because it put, puts up the familiar blue card on the screen so you feel like you're actually sort of seeing the show so there's there's a lot of little fun stuff that that it's doing and that's my point is is i think it's got huge potential but the problem is like there's not a lot there right now and there's not a lot of customizability right now and i can imagine over time like the home screen is the great example and i wrote about this because it drove me it, it drove me batty like it's very limited what you can do to customize the home screen that the, the um, basically it, it it's got the screen is on and it shows you some stuff and it'll cycle through some different stuff. But the amount of control you have over that is very limited. There is a setting for the home screen. That's only on the device. All Amazon echo users have been trained to do everything through everything through the app on their phone, right? Everything. You can't do it on the web. Really? You have to use the app. And I look at the app. And it has no settings for customizing the home screen. And I write this article. It's like, why can't I customize the home screen? And somebody says, oh, well, there's a, there's a different settings menu on the device. What? And it's like, well, you have to either tell it to show you the settings menu, or you can swipe down on the touch screen from the top. And a little menu comes down. And then you can tap the gear icon and go to settings. And there's a display options. And there are some settings that are in common between the app and the on-screen settings. And then there's some that are different, which is so terrible in so many different ways. Like um, you trained us to do the, the app, but now not everything is in the app. So why is why is everything not in the app still? And, and if you've got a device on device menu, why not tell people in the app that they need to go to the device to set their settings? But instead, Amazon has split the difference. So if you go in there and you finally find it, what you get is a couple of switches. You get switches that say, do you want to show calendar events? Do you want to show... Uh, tips or cues or something like that. And you can turn all of them off. Oh, and do you want to cycle through cards, you know, different different items on that screen or do you want it to just play through them once and then and then stop because that could be distracting. You know, so if you turn all of those off, it doesn't really there's no granularity. You you can't uh, as far as I can tell like install like a uh, a uh, a skill that puts something cool on the screen. And uh, with everything off, it still has stuff on it that is annoying. Like, uh, with everything off, it still will put up... um, It stops saying, here's this interesting uh, video of puppies, right? Which it does. It's like totally uh, wild car chase video. Um, Headlines just kind of appear by default. It's really annoying. It's like
0: clickbait in your kitchen, basically.
1: Yeah, it's like spam. Yeah, clickbait in your kitchen. Exactly right. They're spamming your kitchen. Um, But you turn all that stuff off and it still will have like uh, say, Hey lady, um, make me, uh, you know, show me recipes for steak or something like that. Like it has these little like hints of like, here's a thing you could say and they don't go away and you can't make them go away. And again, are they helpful? Maybe do if I don't want them, I should be able to make that go away. I would really like that interface to be really calm when I'm not using it. I want it to be, I think I want it to be literally the time and the temperature, mm. right? That's all I want on it. And that's my personal decision. And I'm sure that at some point I'll be able to do that. But right now, I do not have that level of control over that thing. I just I just don't. So you can turn off some of the garbage, but you can't turn it all off. And this is an example of it's a brand new platform. It doesn't feel done. The software doesn't feel done to me. It feels like Amazon has done what it's done with this product before, which is when the hardware is done, they ship it and they say, "We'll, you know, we'll make it better over time and to their credit the echo has gotten better basically week to week mm-hmm. since they released it it, yeah, it is constantly it being updated mm-hmm. it is not like apple's products that tend to get a revision maybe once a year this is this is kind of constant and that's not just through third party stuff but stuff that amazon is adding behind the scenes yep. to the service that drives the device
0: so this got me thinking right this is a new type of thing, you know, for for people to allow a company to create a product that is a persistent screen that is on in your home. I can't think of anything, you know, consumer tech-wise that is like this. You know, we have these screens that we have on, but we choose to turn them off. You know, our computers, our tablets, our phones, our TVs. We can just turn them off when we don't want them, right? Or when we're done with right. them, so perform an action on them. And then we stop using the thing. But the Echo Show is always there, right? Like it's always on, it's always able to show you something, right? Clues in the name. So I'm wondering what level of control should we have of a screen that is always on? And <laughs> I really feel like, personally, there should be a million customization options for a I product agree. like this. Because if i amazon I'm am gonna let you come into my home and be on all the time, this seems to be a two way street like I am gonna understand knowing you as a company that you're gonna try and sell me stuff through this screen, and that stuff may appear randomly in the home right like I get this right like otherwise I wouldn't buy a product from Amazon if i did if you know if I didn't want that to ever happen to me. But in exchange, I want to be able to be really granular about what is on that screen. You know, like, what do I want to be there? Do I want news or not? Do I want my calendars or not? What calendars do I want? Do I want email to be on there? Do I want temperature on there? Where do I want the temperature to be? Like, I want a million settings for this device. Yes. That I can get to. And again, you can nest them, you know, you can make them advanced settings, but I feel like that there should be a two way street. If I'm going to let you come in my home and be a screen that is on 24 7, then you need to show me what I always want to see, not what you think I might want to see. Like, this has to be an exchange that it doesn't sound like they're living up to. There is a tremendous
1: responsibility when you have that screen that's always on somewhere in the house, I feel. Tremendous responsibility. And yes, Amazon does Kindles with special offers and stuff like that. And I'd actually be okay if they said, well, you can get this for $20 less and we get to show you things on the screen. Um, I wouldn't love it, but I could. I, at least there would be a, a, a deal to be made there and people who don't want to see that stuff could could pay to turn it off. Um, but even then, like Bill, I think billboards in your kitchen and having this product be viewed as a spamming thing is a is a is a mistake for Amazon. It's missing the bigger picture because of that responsibility. Because as accepting as I am of commerce in many other areas of life, to have a, a device that my family sees as useful sitting in the kitchen suddenly be just kind of showing us distracting garbage on the screen, it's like. I don't want that. And again, every every family, every person is going to have a different, um, a different take on it, which is why you have to have that customizability. And hey, if you want to set it with a certain set of defaults, great. If you want to make it really easy for people to turn things on and off with voice commands or menus or whatever, great. But in the end, yes, this product needs to be way more customizable than it currently is because of the responsibility you have in a situation like that. Yep. I'm happy that in that... Uh, Settings menu that's only available on the device that I can turn off the the headlines, right? Because that makes the viral videos and clickbait headlines go away. And that makes me happy because those are the ones that really enraged me. Um, in other areas, it's like, yeah, I, I would like to say show the weather forecast at all times. I would like to say... Um, you know there are things that need to be improved like the calendar support in there right now is really poor it shows you your next event and if you have an all day event it just shows you shows shows it to you as midnight um and it's it's meaningless and, and it's like Definitely. one event it's like i have 5 things tomorrow and it's showing me one and it's a thing that just says this is where my son is going for camp tomorrow it's like, because we use all-day events. That's that's the thing we use. It's like, that needs to be better. They need to do a better job of expressing what is coming up uh, if there are multiple events and dealing yep. with all-day events better and things like that.
0: In a way that I really don't understand, like with all of the companies that are currently making products like this, why they think there's only one person with one set of calendars. You know, like if, if we were going to have this in our home, we want our calendars to be on it. Well, I would want my calendar's and Adina's calendars on it, and for the to display that in a clear way, right? And I feel like, the, from what you're explaining to me, it, it can barely even show events correctly, let alone do something which is relatively complex, you know, as, as that is to show these multiple people's calendars. But, like, I understand that, like, families have a family calendar. You know, everybody also has their individual calendars, and it might be nice to show those rather than, it, you know, just all of Jason's calendars in the Snell household being the ones that everybody yeah. sees rather than their own individual ones as well. Yeah, we have a shared family calendar, and that's what's on that device. Mm-hmm.
1: That's what I have on there. So it's not going to show me my stuff, but it's going to show... Uh, the shared family stuff, which seems appropriate, so we've got a good calendar for it. It just doesn't display it right. And this is again, I, I'm not angry about it. I, I just this is this is just the facts. Is that is that this is a product that is. You know, when you ship the hardware, the hardware is final, but the software is never final and the cloud services are never final. And Amazon has chosen to ship it, get it out in the world. And that's the way they start building more. There's a basic level that's built in, but they're, they're, they start building more. The more of these they get out there, the early adopters are the ones who are kind of riding this thing when it's kind of uh, not all there yet and we're going to figure it out. And their partners who are ma- building the first uh, video-enabled uh uh, skills for this. They're part of this journey. And I would actually bet that in a year that this product is going to be way better than it is now. But the end, and, and you know, again, I was just writing on Six Colors about my frustration with the home screen. And I had a bunch of people say, wow, here's a really negative review. And it's like, it's not a review. Everybody thinks everything is a review, but it's like, it's not a review. It's literally me griping about the home screen being a mess. Um, but at the end, I do say the home screen is such a mess that you probably shouldn't buy it yet. Like, it's, it's not going away. Amazon's not going out of business. They'll keep selling this thing. But right now, be aware that just because the Echo has become a more sophisticated platform for audio, uh, the video stuff is not. The video stuff is where the Echo was when it started, which is a few partners, a few things they're trying, and they'll figure it out as they go. And if you want to take that ride, great. I think it's kind of fun and interesting. This goes back to like, I want the Echo in my kitchen because I love it. Um, and then as a writer and observer of technology, I want the Echo show in my kitchen because I'm kind of fascinated about what it does, what it doesn't do and where their progress is being made. So that's why I am keeping it and am am kind of happy to have it, even though it's weird. And, uh, I don't think I would recommend that most people get one unless they really are, uh, willing to take that journey. I mean, yeah, you can watch you can watch tv shows and stuff on it too that's the other funny thing through it's attached to amazon's video library so if you want to just like watch a tv show while you're cooking you could you can do that actually which is interesting i think it'll be more interesting when you'll be able to fairly easily you know maybe tune into like if they if they did integration with your cable company or something, that could be really interesting to say, um, play this channel and have it just stream that channel in your house. I have Wi-Fi access through Comcast on my iPad to all live TV in my house, right? I can stream all of that when I'm, at, when I'm at home because Comcast knows I'm on their network. Like, wouldn't that be interesting if the Echo Show also turned into a TV set? Like it literally is a kitchen TV set. So I could say, play this channel and it would just stream that live. They're, they're not there yet. Maybe they'll get there sometime and that would be really interesting. But we'll have to see because, you know, maybe Amazon's like, no, we don't want to be a TV. That's not what they want. But we do want you to watch TV shows on it from Amazon's
0: library. Okay, that would be something. I don't know. Today's show is also brought to you by Squarespace. Use the offer code upgrade at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move. With Squarespace, they let you easily create that website for your next idea, project, or even an occasion. I'll get to that in a second. With a unique domain name, the ability to utilize beautiful award-winning templates that are super easy to customize to your own feel. And so much more, Squarespace is going to be the perfect place for you. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help with anything while setting up your site. But no matter what it is that you're looking to build, Squarespace can be the home for that. Maybe you're looking to create an online store. Well, Squarespace can help you. Maybe you want to create a portfolio for your artwork. They can help you. Maybe you want to create a blog. They have everything you need. They're the all-in-one platform that lets you take care of all of this stuff and so much more. There's nothing to install. No upgrades needed. No patches that you have to worry about. They've got it all covered. I'm uh, about a year away, a year or so away from getting married. And I'm going to be setting up Squarespace site for all the people that are coming to our wedding. It's perfect for stuff like that. They have templates for these things. You can, like, password protect websites. It's fantastic. And I... Think that the tools that they have, like for stuff like this, I don't know why you'd go anywhere else. I can set things up really easily. I can integrate maps. I can put music in. I can put albums in if I want to. We can put like contact form information. Everything can go there. It's all one little place. I can just have it for a year and then, you know, whatever. It's fantastic. I'm going to use Squarespace for that. We've already been thinking about how we're going to set that up. It's also been fun, like looking through, um, looking through some people's portfolios and stuff. We're looking for photographers and stuff right now. And one of them sent me a, a link to something like a password-protected area. And I knew the password kind of page as a squarespace site and i was like ah oh, good work photographer you you made the right choice squarespace plans start at just 12 dollars a month you can start a free trial today with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com and then use the offer code upgrade when you sign up you'll get 10 percent of your first purchase when you do this and show your support for this show we thank squarespace for supporting this show on relay fm squarespace make your next move make your next website Jason Snow, I want to talk about expensive smartphones. Okay, get your so, checkbook out, Mike. Um, I mm, I don't never done. No, I think I've written three checks in my life. <laughs> Hashtag Mike was right. Expensive phones, right? Um, you always yeah, buy a more expensive phone than I do. I do, I do, and we'll see how that ends up shaping up later this year. So I want to set the stage mm. a little bit, Jason Snow, with some some news that had been buzzing around towards the end of last week. It's a company called red red or capital yes. letters they make high-end cameras and they have been for a long time um, my memory of red they kind of came out of nowhere with this this product uh, which was like a HD video camera and blew everything else out of the water and have continued to do so since they came around they make incredible stuff that's used all over the place now movies and Uh, technology YouTubers use red cameras, right? Like, they are serious, serious hardware. Well, they have announced out of nowhere that they are making a smartphone. Uh, It's an Android device, and everything they're saying about this, if this wasn't a company that had a good track record, I would be screaming vaporware. Because... It really feels like it. It feels like this is a product that is full of hyperbole, falsification, and will never ship. But yeah. Red do have a, a, a track record of doing things that seem outside of the realm of technology that in, in the current state. Like, you know, At least that's my feel of them over time, is that they have always been able to push the envelope past what you think is, is achievable in the fields that they're working in in, in, in camera technology. However, saying all of that, Red are saying that their phone uh, is gonna f- it's called the Hydrogen. It's going to feature a 5.7-inch display that can somehow switch between 2D, 3D, and what they're calling holographic multi-view content. Uh, it's going to be a modular phone, which is a huge uh, red flag. Not like This is like a, a warning flag. To say modular these days is not a good sign. Uh, apparently all capital phone, letters, red, flag. Yeah, I, I, that's what I was trying <laughs> to avoid. Uh, it's shipping in uh, early 2018, they say. It's starting at $1,195 for an aluminium version and $1,595 for a titanium version. There is a ton of stuff about this which is dubious, um, but there are people that are excited about it. I'm interested to see if and what they're able to produce. But I only bring all of this up to set the scene of expensive smartphones, because that is an expensive smartphone, right? They're making two models, and they're both over $1,000. So, can Apple do this? Can Apple sell an iPhone that starts at $1,000? So, I read a great article on Daring Fireball this week, where John Gruber was kind of breaking down the potential for what the price ranges could be and why they would be that way for the next three iPhones. So I'm going to try and sum up uh, John's assumptions, right? So the assumptions are that there will be three iPhones, a 7S, a 7S Plus and an iPhone Pro, we'll call it for the, for the sake of this conversation, that will be debuting in September. The iPhone Pro will be supply-constrained because it will be harder to make and the parts will be more expensive. And because of this, Apple will charge a higher price for this phone because they are able to reliably uh, make less of them than usual, right? It's it's more expensive to make. It's harder to make. They can't make as many of them. It's going to be supply constrained. Charge more money for it. So let's imagine that the iPhone Pro comes in at a similar price range to this red phone, right? like $1,100 for the regular one and then $1,300 for the the top-of-the-line one, right? the iPhone Pro. If this is a price, so so I wonder, Jason, is this a price, knowing everything that we think we might know, all the speculation about this phone, everything we think this phone might have in it, this beautiful edge-to-edge display, currently face scanning technology, and all of the other bells and whistles, all of the beautiful materials that an iPhone Pro may hold, is this a price that you would be willing to pay for an iPhone, (laughs) $1,100, would you be willing to pay that?
1: Uh, prob I, that was not the question that I thought you were gonna ask. Pro, I don't know. I mean, it, uh, amortized over um over two years, that is forty five dollars a month. Over three years, that's thirty dollars a month. Um, we are although eleven hundred dollars for a phone seems ludicrous. Um, we're currently paying seven eight hundred dollars for phones, right? Yep. These are these are not. Despite all of the misconceptions based on carrier subsidies and contracts, this is what phones cost. So this is a higher end version of that phone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I would have to think about it again. Uh, as with so many things that we cover, I would probably need to buy one because I would need to write about it. But uh, if I, it's kind of hard to imagine. But like if I, if I had no need to do that and I was just a person. Um, I would consider it depending on how, what the details were and how long I thought that I would use it two or three years. It might not be unreasonable. This is for a lot of people, as, as Gruber mentions in his story, the most important device that they use, right? This is your iPhone is your most important device. So would you pay for the best one and then use it for two years? You know, I, I, I think it's not unreasonable. And I think the, the fact is, what this conversation is not doing is saying that apple's going to make the next iphone cost $1200 and so everybody's going to have to buy a $1200 iphone because what this seems to be suggesting is that apple is intending on making an additional model that is mm-hmm. that is more i mean almost aspirational or if you want to put it this way it's a it's a cutting edge design that is that apple is capable of making but not capable of making at their standard price point or volume they can't make
0: 80 million yes. of them
1: yeah well that that too and that that it's funny cuz we talked about that when we were talking about one of these other devices the oh what was it uh oh it was that Andy Rubin phone that still hasn't shipped
0: yeah the essential
1: uh that that they they admitted that there's no way they could ship in volume right? They, mm-hmm. they 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 were trying to catch people's eyes with their specs and their cutting-edge design, but all of that was rolled into a phone that basically can't be made in, at scale because it just can't. And Apple's one of Apple's challenges is everything they do, Gruber mentioned this, everything they do has to be at scale, right? This is the most popular single consumer product, uh, consumer electronics product in the world, probably, or among them, uh, among a handful. Like, Lots of iPhones get sold every year. Lots and lots and lots. Mm -hmm. And so some tech is really cool. And Apple, I think Apple, there's so much here. I think Apple's technical people and designers sometimes get frustrated because they see other people making cutting edge phone designs and using cutting edge technology like Andy Rubin's phone. Maybe like this red phone where Apple knows full well how to do all of that. They've investigated all of that. And if I'm an Apple, one of the things that might frustrate me is, yeah, we can do that too if all all we want to do is sell 10,000 of them but nothing we do sells 10,000. Everything we do, if I'm an Apple designer or a technical person, it's like everything we do, it's great, everything we do sells millions and millions and millions of units, but it also means that we would need millions and millions and millions of all the parts, which may not be possible. And then we would need to put them together at a speed at which we could sell them as fast as they're being ordered, which is not possible, so we can't make that and that leads that leads to a dangerous perception that Apple is behind uh, and this is one of those like challenges of being the big dog is that Apple has to fulfill millions and millions of orders, and it's easier in some ways because they get to buy in bulk, they get big contracts. There are lots of things that play to their advantage. But if you have technology that is hard to manufacture, hard to assemble, or not available in volume, and you're Apple, it's basically walled off to you. So I can see the argument that one of the reasons you do this is because you want... um, you want to make a phone that shows off what Apple's capable of, but it needs to not be the only thing out there because there's no way you can make enough of them. And you raise the price because it's a premium. It's like next year's iPhone today. <laughs> and you uh, that cuts down on demand, but it shows you as being a, a, a trailblazer, as being on the cutting edge. And maybe it teaches you about that technology so that by the time you get to the following fall, you have the ability to sell it in greater volume. Um, I, I can see that argument, uh, you know, and, and, and the key to it is that you still have regular iPhones at regular prices, right? That, uh, that you know, this is um, not let's raise the price on the iPhone $300 or $200 or whatever. This is what if we did this other
0: unicorn y kind of product. So the way that I've been thinking about this, like would I be willing to spend the money is I think about the last two iPhones that I spent nine hundred dollars on. Yeah. Right? And that yeah. they kind of weren't really adding much. Right? Like really in the grand scheme of things, not a ton. You know, better processors. Between the between the six and the 6S and the 6S and the seven. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't really a you had that extra camera. Yeah I mean so, so this is the thing right there are things right that there are there are nice but they're not huge advancements they're not like massive leaps right like the second camera is really great but like I don't really use portrait mode that much I do use that second camera a lot but it's, you know, it's just a nice zoom lens, but like, it doesn't always work, right? Like, I don't actually know that uh, the pictures are always being taken from that camera because it doesn't tell you, right? Like, it's, right. It, is there enough lighting and all that sort of stuff? So, like, it's, it's nice. It, it, these are nice advancements but are they $900 worth of enhancements? I don't think so, really. I mean, really. I mean, I buy this stuff because I always want the latest and greatest phone, which is why I think for a lot of people listening to this show, people that might be sitting there saying, I'm not going to pay $1,100 for a phone. Like, you know, if you've bought the last two, then you probably just should, because how much more of a difference is it? You know, I guess it depends what phone you're buying, right? Like, I'm I'm buying Pluses, so they're, they're approaching a 1000 If you do the conversion, my phone costs over $1,000, right? Because I'm buying it in pounds. But, like, I'm already buying the model that's brushing up against this price anyway. But, like, you know, I am thinking that if this really is a huge jump forward, then maybe that makes it worth the additional money. So, there is a thing about this, though, which Gruber points out, which I think is a good argument. It's an interesting thought experiment. If Apple do this there are a lot of people who cannot buy this phone, right? Like it is going to be outside of the price range. Like if you buy the small phone in the smallest configuration, you're looking at doubling your price to get this new one, right? So if there are people that can't afford to buy the new one, would they upgrade to the 7S? Because if they can't buy the best iPhone, Why buy a new iPhone at all? Why buy an old iPhone? It's like, you know, I I would imagine for a lot of people, it's going to feel like, okay, so they brought out the new phone. Last year's phone got bumped down. That's how the 7S will feel. It's going to feel like the old phone, even though it's new, because all of the marketing will be for this new unicorn iPhone Pro. Is this going to be a risk for them? Like, could Apple end up harming sales of the iPhone line overall because they have this aspirational phone that some people can't get so they just don't upgrade. They wait until next year. Do you think that that is a risk? Yeah. I mean, that that is <laughs> consumer psychology, right,
1: is sometimes more important than... <laughs> all right. Okay. Let me back up. Nerds like to believe, a lot of nerds, that uh, it's all about specs or it's all about price or it's all about some ratio that can be calculated. I feel like a lot of people in our atmosphere in our area kind of make comments like that. But, you know, buying psychology is not always logical and it has there are lots of unintended consequences of of doing things like this. So just the existence of I mean, there's so much here. Just the existence of a high end iPhone changes the game. Because as Gruber himself has pointed out on many occasions, um, the best, the, you know, everybody drinks the same can of Coke. The president of the United States and a construction worker drink the same Coke. Um, everybody has the same iPhone. You, you know, everybody gets, there's no, there's no t- Tiffany iPhone. Everybody gets the same iPhone. So there's a danger in having a higher end iPhone at all because it makes the other iPhones seem less special, right? Just the, Even if they're no different, even if the iPhone 7S and 7S Plus are exactly what would have existed before and would have sold perfectly within expectations before, the existence of anything above them changes our perception of them. Now they seem older. Now they seem less capable. So there's that. That is an issue. And then there's also this feeling about the price that it's like, you know, it's going to make people feel like this is Apple. uh, And this is about perception, not necessarily reality, but it's Apple squeezing more money out of buyers or it's Apple overpricing its products or it's Apple not caring about the little guy and going like super premium. There's already this perception that Apple is not a, you know, because Apple doesn't play the low cost game. That Apple is already an elitist company. It's 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 not make it doesn't make affordable products. It's not interested in those markets, and there are lots of reasons why. But in the end, like if you're somebody who feels like Apple is kind of gross as a company because it doesn't care about people who don't have enough money to buy Apple products and it, it's not interested in exploring those markets so much, um, then this this fits into that, right? I mean, we know people in our business who can't let go the gold Apple watch, right? Who can't let go of that and continue to use it as an example of Apple being out of touch and not making the world a better place. We know, you know, we know people who who say stuff like that to this day, even though the golden Apple watch is kind of come and gone, this feeds into that perception. So that's an issue. Um, so, so I, I do think that doing a product like this is risky, um, and could really hurt the iPhone. Uh, But, you know, it is a calculation about how you want Apple to be perceived because, like I said before, on the other hand, um, you've got other companies making products that have features that Apple probably wishes they could make but feel like they can't. Then again, that is not a great um, excuse for, like, what Samsung is doing, right? Samsung is kind of advancing the ball, and Samsung has huge volume on their phones. So... Uh, I don't want to overstep on the on the uh, on the volume thing, because if Samsung can do an edge to edge OLED display, Apple probably can, too, and make it available in high volume. So um, there is an element of this that is why can't Apple just make that the new iPhone? Why do they have to make that this high end model? And there may be reasons. There may be things that Apple is not willing to do that Samsung was willing to do in terms of compromise. Who knows? I I don't know. We don't know the details of these phones. But I think it's worth asking that question. What is special about this phone? Is this phone, uh, if it really does exist, only available at high prices because of all the things we've detailed here? Or is it there because Apple wants to squeeze another year of margin- out of the iPhone six design family and doesn't want to give that margin back the profit margin back on this much more expensive phone. You know, I think that's a legitimate question. So, um, so there's a lot, there's a lot here, but I do think the buying psychology, they, they risk devaluing their, their bread and
0: butter by doing it this way. So it's a, it's a risky move. It definitely is. It's a, it's a. It could end up being a big problem for them. It is a gamble. It one hundred percent. This is a gamble because they cannot accurately predict the en masse feeling of people. Right? You can't. You you can assume, but like there's no way that they will be able to know what this would do. But my feeling. My feeling on this. My take on this is that Apple is trying to protect themselves against the inverse risk. The risk of looking left behind. So I feel like. In a perfect world, there would be two iPhone models, and they would both be next generation, edge to edge, OLED screens, all the bells and whistles, right?
1: Or one, if it's, a mu- if it's a little bit bigger phone with a much bigger screen, they could even get away with maybe
0: doing the, the one and saying, we don't even need the Plus anymore. It's all in here. I mean, I, I think they will in the future, though, right? Like, I think that we if we get this one model, I think in the future, there will be a bigger one, right? Because then you could put a six inch screen in the size of the Plus, right? So, you know, you, you could keep going. Potentially. I'm just saying you could extend that argument down to the ultimate simplification,
1: which is here's our new iPhone. It's so great. We don't even need two of them. Sure. Here it is for sale. Um, But my question would be, if you're Apple and I come in and say, here's the reality of building this phone. And I'm not saying this is actually what's true, but let's just do this as a hypothetical. Here's the reality of what's with this phone. Um, We can't make it in volume to sell what we sell in the fall. We can't do it because of various reasons. You can yell at me. I know we've had these conversations before, but, you know, Mr. Cook, (laughs) but we can't do it. You know this, it's because of the choice we made about this screen and it's the choice we made about this sensor and whatever it is, we can't make them in that volume. You know we can't. We'll get back ordered, they'll be sold out. You're worried about the numbers being suppressed because people can't get iPhones and they'll buy something else. So we can't do that. Uh, We also, here's how much it's gonna cost to make it, at least at first. And that means that we can't keep our margins and charge what we charged for the last models or even 50 or a hundred dollars more. It has to be more than that if we're gonna do it. So what do we do? Do we not do it? Do we just put it off? We can give it to you in a year. I know we've been trying for a year to do this phone already, but we can do it for next year probably. Um, or we can release it now, um, but you're going to have these huge issues. What do you do if you're Tim Cook? And that's the, that strikes me as being the choice, right? Is do you um, do you sweep away the old models and release this thing and it's just not available for a long time and the margins are bad? Do you not do anything and just not release it and have us push the 7S out there? Or do you compromise and create this kind of hybrid, which is the rumor, that they will ship them both?
0: Yeah, this this is what I'm getting at, right? Like, this is what I think. Like, in this ideal world, this is just a new iPhone, but they can't do it now. So what do they do? Do they just wait one more year? But if they do, when people go to the phone stores, you've got this iPhone, which has looked this way forever, and then around it, All of these Android phones are these growing screens. And, you know, I understand the idea of people being tied to uh, a brand and et cetera, et cetera. But when you're selling 80 million of them, 10% of those people is a significant amount, right? And if 10% of those people are willing to switch, that's not going to look good for the investors. That's not going to look good for a company that's already struggling because they can't keep their growth going. You don't want to start to see a decline, because, you know, it looks like the iPhone is is kind of being left in the dust. So a way that you combat this, which is the route that I think that they're going down with this is, well, we can't do it for everyone. So let's make this phone that some people are going to buy. It's going to increase our average selling price hope, and hopefully we'll still sell as many iPhones as we would have sold anyway. And we then keep the perception that we're doing things well. We continue to make it for a year over that period of time. We drive down the cost. And then in 2018, all of the iPhones that we make can look like this. Right? That This is where I think they're, they're going with this. I, I think that in an ideal world, Apple just has one or two models of the next iPhone, and it's this only one, but they can't. Yes. They just can't, they can't do it. So instead yeah. of risking, so that they're, they're taking a gamble, but I think mm-hmm. it's the better gamble. I think this is a better gamble to say, you know, Apple is making a really expensive phone is better than Apple can't innovate. If I- you're... Um, I'm going to agree with you here, but <laughs> let me...
1: If if this is one year in, if this is when the 6 is out, or, uh, or if there's two years in and the 6S is out, I can see the argument of putting it off and letting the existing stuff ride, but I agree with you that I, what tilts this approach toward being the right one is this perception that Apple has not done a whole lot. Perception. But that it's it's a real perception exists. Like perception is, oh, it doesn't look any different, even though we know that the insides get changed and all of those things. The perception that Apple is going to, for four years in a row, release basically the same shape phone, and it'll just have some differences on the inside. Like that is tough, right? Mm-hmm. And that that puts on the pressure to show something different and to get back to that red phone or the Andy Rubin Rubin phone. Um, the i think apple from a point of pride doesn't and a point of branding does not want to be perceived as making um boring phones that because part of apple's brand and part of apple's cachet is that they are on the cutting edge and i think that some of this is probably motivated by um by by you know you can call it pride if you want to Make it um, personal, or you can call it branding if you want to make it more technical and business appropriate. But either way, it's the idea that there's cool stuff out there that you can do with phones, and we're not allowed to do it because X, because of our market dominance, because of the huge number that we sell, which is great, but it is simultaneously eroding our perception in the market as being cool. So, how do we make a cool phone? And if we have to ship millions of them, we can't do it. So what do we do? And that's that moment where you say, you know what? We have to make a cool phone. We have to. Even if it hurts the perception of the other phones, we have to make the cool phone because at some point they're going to take, everybody's just going to think that Apple's phones are boring. And, and, you know, the question is going to be, if it doesn't work, (laughs) Everybody will be like, well, why did you throw over your incredibly profitable business out of fear of boredom? But it does seem like it's a very Apple trait um, going back through, you know, in the culture that Steve Jobs instilled in this company to throw out to risk throwing out the old popular thing in order to do what is clearly the future. But it might be a rough ride if the market doesn't, you know, the, the buyers don't like the fact that it exists. Yeah. If we assume that this phone is the future of the iPhone and that in a year or two, all iPhones will be like this phone, I think it's a stronger argument. But it's, it is totally a risk. And, and, and picking the right time to do it, last year, this year, next year, that's why they pay the CEOs the big bucks.
0: There is... There is an argument that you can make, that Apple can make, and they can ride this for one year. Like if they see a dip, you know, you you can make the the argument of, right? Oh yeah, sure. We had to do this. We have to move forward the iPhone to the next ten years. Like you you can make that argument that one time. Totally. And if you're gonna do it, the anniversary is the right time to do it because you can use the company's history, like the product's history, and you can do all of that stuff. And so like, this is the, if yeah, you're going to do this, you do it now, right? I feel that they may, would potentially be making the right decision if that's the route that they go through.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you've got lots of fig leaves to use to explain why you're taking this gamble and potentially harming your key product. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and, and you say, this is for the future. We have to do this now because we, this is Apple and we have to do this now. But, um, It's a tough one because they're saying that, but they're still selling us, you know, if they're still selling a 7S, then you're not really entirely embracing the future. You're just sort of, you know, but that that goes back to the problem is whatever design that they have created here, apparently it's not something that they can, they can ship in volume at the the right price. And that may be, um, I I don't want to take that as a given, um, because I, I think it's worth saying this could all be because of a colossal miscalculation on Apple's part in terms of the design. They may have been, I don't want to say it's like, this is just naturally, this is how how it had to happen. It's entirely possible that their reach just exceeded their grasp and they designed this phone that they're now committed to. That is the, this is the design they've got for their next generation phone and they can't ship it in volume. And I would argue that when you go into a project like this, you're probably going in, assuming it's going to be the next iPhone and you're just going to swap it in. For the existing iPhone and the fact that they might potentially have to do this third iPhone. We can tell the story about how Apple wants to be cutting edge. You could also turn it around and say this is because whoever designed this thing um, made some decisions that led to it being not shippable. So they have to make do with this and that may also be true. It's hard to tell because that is incredibly esoteric stuff that you have to be deep down inside of Apple and the suppliers and everything else to understand. But I think it's worth at least considering that that Apple would not choose I think to do it this way. This may just be where they're where they are with the hand that they've been dealt. Yes, but uh you know, it's not random. Like decisions were made to make that card in the hand that they've been dealt. And those decisions were made by
0: um, the people building the
1: next generation iPhone.
0: Today's show is also brought to you by our friends at Encapsula, the multi function content delivery network that boosts the performance of your website, protects it from denial of service attacks, and secures it from bad guys whilst ensuring high availability. Encapsula have a global network of 30 data centers with three terabits of bandwidth. This network stops attack traffic. It makes sure that denial of service attacks and bad guys never hit your servers, whilst also caching your content and optimizing connections using their powerful CDN. All you have to do to take advantage of this network is to change just a small DNS setting, and you can activate Encapsula for your site. You don't need to install any hardware or software. It is ready to go when you are. Backed up with a 24/7 operations team that are there when you need it, you get personal account management and the best service level agreement in the business. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service for free. Just go to encapsula.com/upgrade. That's i-n-c-a-p-s-u-l-a.com/upgrade. You'll find out more about Encapsula's service here and claim your free month. Thank you so much to Encapsula for the continued support of this show and Relay FM. Ready for Ask Upgrade, Jason? I am always ready for Ask Upgrade. Today's first question comes from Benny. Do you think that the iPad Pro will get improved next year, maybe with better screens, better processors? Do we think that in 2018 there will be new iPad Pros?
1: Um, I don't know. I'm kind of 50-50 on it. I, I feel like there don't need to be. I would like to see them because I would like to see Apple say... Um, we love the iPad pro and we're going to keep it updated, but, um, I think they could go a year and a half if they needed to. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I'd say I'm 50, 50 on it. Like if they've got a next generation iPad pro that does other cool stuff, that's great. But like the, the problem with the iPad pro, I feel like the hardware is great. I don't feel like in two years or certainly I don't feel like in a year, everybody's going to be looking at the iPad pro saying, Oh boy. It's it's uh it it's getting old it needs to be updated. I feel like the hardware is so good in fact are arguably so far ahead of what is even needed on the platform right now that um Apple's got other fish to fry and they they maybe you know if it goes a year and a half or 2 years I think it's okay. So um uh, doesn't mean they won't do an update on it but I'm not sure they need to.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm tracing along that line as well. I I think that the iPad Pro line will be a minimum 18 month refresh going forward. Yeah. And I think that's totally it's, fine.
1: Th- there may come a time when we look at the iPad and go, "Wow, this iPad's getting slow." Where's the new iPad? But right now, that's not the case. Like it's it's so much more powerful than almost anything that the platform is actually being asked to do. <laughs> that I don't think it's necessary. I think it's more likely that there'll be some iOS innovation, hopefully in the next you know two years, that really requires more RAM or more processor um, that makes them be prompted to do an update so that that will be the hardware that best runs ios 12 or something like that but um i I doubt that will happen next year
0: michael wants to know do you still give the trip mode app for mac your recommendation michael's going on the trip soon and may need to use uh, tethering quite a bit
1: yes two thumbs up indeed um it's they just came out with a new version it's great i highly recommend it to anybody who's tethering on a mac Because you can choose, you can toggle it on and choose app by app what gets data and what does not get data. And that is huge because the Mac doesn't really have a conception of that. And so it'll be doing like, crazy high bandwidth things in the background thinking it's on wi-fi when it's actually on wi-fi attached to a cellular device so trip mode lets you shut everything off and uh, then selectively shut turn things on you can see how much data everything's using and turn off apps that are using too much data highly recommend it it's great great, and it's not that expensive either i forget what it is but it's it's cheap it's worth it
0: there's a windows version too there is okay so that's your bag I'm looking if you like at that sort of the thing. page right now. Yeah, if that's, if yeah. that's what you do. It's $7.99. And,
1: and you don't need it on iOS because iOS actually has it built into the operating system. It knows the, uh, iOS knows the difference between cellular and Wi Fi, which, um, which uh, unfortunately
0: the Mac doesn't. Jay Mush asked, why aren't there a bunch of uncertified smart connector accessories on eBay, like how it was with Lightning? <laughs> uh, why aren't there, I turn this around and say, why aren't there a lot of, un, uh, a lot of
1: smart connector devices in general? I suspect they're related. So part of it is there aren't that many iPads out there. There are iPads out there, but like compared to iPhones, the number of iPad, iPad Pros is small and only the iPad Pro has the smart connector. So it's a limited market. And then I think the reason that we haven't seen smart connector accessories in general is probably because the smart connector has some limited use. That it was largely designed for Apple for the smart keyboard and it's a it's open i think in the sense that apple maybe had an argument about internally about other ipad keyboards and somebody agreed that why not make it open why not work with logitech to do a smart connector based keyboard as well which they did they made the the create um and so it feels to me like a thing that was really designed for apple and then to do keyboards and then kind of repurposed to be a little bit broader, but it's it's a very limited connector. And so I think that's the answer is, it's limited in what it can do and it's got a very limited market. And if you're gonna go to the trouble of making a keyboard that works with a smart connector, um, you would want it to be legit. So what are you left with? Like maybe some weird charger thing, like a, a Apple Pencil charger dongle thing, I don't know. It's just, it's just not, not worth it. So I think, I think this goes back to the smart connector being of incredibly narrow, limited use that more than anything else.
0: Oliver asked, I'm thinking about replacing my dead MacBook Pro with an iPad Pro. Apart from iCloud Photo Library, what photo backup service would you recommend? There are many others.
1: I mean, I use iCloud Photo Library. You could use Google Photos. Um, you could use Dropbox, which will let you do that. You just have to pay. You know, you have to pay for storage depending on what you want to do. But there are options. The only I think challenge is that the the iPad the iCloud Photo Library is going to be the most reliable because it's integrated into the system. Um, and sometimes you may need to like launch the other third party apps that do backups so that they can work in backing up your photos. But there are uh uh from your mac i mean well if your macbook pro is dead then you where are your photos right now but if you got them off of them you could upload them sort of to any service mm-hmm. um and i mean i don't have i don't have a comprehensive review of all these services the google people seem to really like the google service I know if you're a Dropbox user and you've got a lot of Dropbox storage, Dropbox really wants you to share share your photos and save your photos with them because that ties you more to their service. And then iCloud is, uh, I find it very reliable and the price is actually not bad, so.
0: Wiki asked, we've heard nothing about the Retina monitors to replace the cinema display. Do you still think they're coming? Apple said they're coming when they said that they were doing a Mac Pro. We won't hear anything about those until the Mac Pro pops up.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly it, is that that will be something that gets announced when the Mac Pro gets announced, because it probably was a decision that was made alongside the decision to do the the new Mac Pro. And so I think, I don't think, even though they could release it and use it with the MacBook Pro or the iMac Pro or the iMac iMac even, um, my gut feeling is they won't. I hope they do, but I do think they're still coming. I think it's just not a priority because it's really a, a Perceived, at least, as being tied to that new Mac Pro. So it's going to be a while.
0: Frank asked, what are the chances, do we believe, of upgraded AirPod hardware this fall, trying to decide if it's worth buying a pair now? Um, I feel
1: like we talked about this a while ago. I, mm. I think the chances are low, because I think the AirPods are fine. Yeah, And I think that it's a brand new product, which means they are... Um, they were ahead of their time. They were kind of pushed into the market. They're still kind of, I think, struggling to meet demand. Um, they're a cutting edge product. So what you want to do is let that product stay there for a while and get good at making it and improve your pro- profit margins on everyone you sell. It's got it's got some upgradable software in it. So like even iOS 11 m- makes better use of them. Um, also, I think it's possible that since it's such a brand new cutting edge product that Apple may even be doing hardware tweaks behind the scenes but won't disclose them um and won't market them so it's entirely possible with a product like this that Apple may make changes to what's in them and how they work and not say anything because from the customer's perspective they're exactly the same and they could do a slipstream hardware change and until somebody took them apart nobody would really or somebody at the Apple store squealed um nobody would know the difference because it wouldn't be about features it would just be about um Functionality. Now, I, the hedge I'll put in here is um, I could see them maybe doing something with color, but that would be it. I, I, I doubt that the hardware is going to change mm. anytime soon.
0: Yeah, if you have the ability to buy AirPods, get them now. I mean, really, you know, aside from cosmetic, I can't imagine there being any changes that are really going to make it so much better. Like, okay, let's say battery life. Battery is fantastic on these things. Like, you're good, right? Like, I I charge them every time I think about charging them, but I've never even hit a battery warning, and I use them yeah. all the time. Agreed. Um,
1: you know, they could be they could be smaller. Uh, although there's, you know, the, the problem is physics, right? You've got to have room for the battery, and you've got to have room to have enough antenna space that you can receive and to be able to hold and, them. You've got to be able to take them out of your ears. Well, that's right? true. That's, you the know? stems, the stems could be shorter right? Sure. They could be a little bit shorter. But is that enough of a reason? I just I just don't see it. I feel like this is a, a product that Apple's probably pretty happy with and that nobody's thinking, oh, I don't know. The AirPods are kind of long in the tooth. I feel like the AirPods are good. They're good for a while. And color is the only thing that, that strikes me as something they could do fairly easily, right? Because that's just literally changing the plastic. Um, and that would be fun. That would actually be a really fun refresh for the holidays. So, I I will put that out as a as a small possibility that we'd get them in black or maybe even get them in a few different colors so that you could you could choose even though Apple lately is still pretty monochrome.
0: Sounds like a draft pick to me,
1: Jason. I think that's yeah, that's right. We maybe we'll put that on the iPhone event draft. I, I think colored AirPods is a good one for that because it
0: might happen, but it might not. Finally today, Rafael asked, "Does macOS High Sierra bring some changes to the Mac App Store like iOS 11 has brought to the iPhone App Store?" Jason, does the does the App Store look any different on High Sierra? I don't even remember. <laughs> I'm going to assume be it's honest. a no, right? Like, because I feel like we maybe know about it. Now I know that um, I believe it was during the talk show event. Uh, that they mentioned that there would be stuff coming to, like some of the new features would be coming to the the Mac App Store. But if it's going to happen, I don't think we're seeing it right now. I think it's possible that the Mac App Store will
1: get a makeover, but I think it's less likely that they're going to have like expansive feature stories on the Mac App Store. It's possible yep. but it's not I my my guess is it's more like they're gonna roll that out on iOS and then maybe someday they'll do it on the Mac too but I don't I don't know for certain I'm trying to picture it they are bringing that design to other things in Mac OS but I'm not sure it's coming to the Mac App Store or not I can't recall I haven't spent a lot of time in high Sierra uh, and especially in the App Store app in, in high Sierra lately although there's new betas. So everybody can rush out and update to the new betas and see what's changed. Because that always happens. There's new betas when we do an upgrade, Mike.
0: Is there new, new iOS betas? betas?
1: Yeah. Yay! New betas.
0: Oh, I'm really happy because I've been having some weirdo stuff. Uh well so we'll on. see if
1: this we'll fix those weirdo things and cause some new weirdo I, things. We'll introduce the of I betas. like new
0: weird things rather than the same weird things, you know? It's great. New, new new, weird things are,
1: are uh, the best. Yeah, sure. Yay,
0: betas. Okay, so that's something to do when we're done today. <laughs> yep. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Upgrade. I want to take a moment again to thank our fine sponsors, the folk over at Squarespace, Encapsula, and Away for supporting this week's episode. Of course, as always, thank you for listening. We could not do this show without your kind... Mm, I can't think of listenership patronage isn't the right word just support there we support. go we'll go for that your support without your support this show wouldn't happen so thank you so much for listening Um, If you enjoy the show, why don't you share it with a friend? Tell them that you enjoy it. It actually really does make a difference. Like, if you have somebody in your life that you think might enjoy Upgrade, why don't you tell them to go check it out? Because those Jason and Mike guys, they're really fun to listen to. If you want to find Jason's work online, he's over at TheIncomparable.com, SixColors.com, and he is at Jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L on Twitter. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. And maybe as well, if you listen to Upgrade and don't listen to any other Relay FM shows, just go to relay.fm slash shows and pick something else. There's going to be something else in there that is for you. I am sure of it. We'll be back next time. Don't forget, hashtag AskUpgrade for your Ask Upgrade questions. Hashtag SnellTalk for your snowtalk questions. Until then, say goodbye, Mr. Snow. Adios, Miguel.